Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. Hello and welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined as always by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Raylia Liu, CREI Fertility Specialist. Welcome, Raylia. Welcome. Today we're talking about a really important topic, and that's the HCG trigger. I don't know anything about this topic. Tell us about what a trigger is. A trigger, in the way that we discuss it in IVF, is a medication that we give in order to achieve eggs collected and egg collection procedure. And there are certain things that a trigger has to do. But basically, a trigger has to perform the function of the natural ovulation surge. In an IVF cycle, or egg freezing cycle for that matter, we perform what is called controlled ovarian stimulation. What that means is that we give medications to at the same time prevent a spontaneous release of eggs or ovulation and also medications to stimulate your ovary so that follicles, which are the structures around eggs, grow and mature with the goal of ultimately obtaining mature eggs to either freeze or fertilise to make a baby. When we are going through the first stages of IVF or egg freeze, we take medication or inject ourselves with medication to stop ovulation and then the trigger is to make you ovulate. And what stage does this come into? What happens after the trigger? When we trigger in assisted reproductive treatments, we need the trigger to perform the same tasks that a natural ovulation LH or luteinizing hormone surge would do in a natural cycle. Eggs, as they sit in our ovary, in our resting pool, are actually arrested in their development. They've gone through what's called meiosis one, and then they've stopped. And meiosis is a very special type of cell division that our eggs go through as they're developing to generate genetic diversity. Initially, eggs have four times the amount of DNA that they provide to a baby. They have a copy of each of our chromosomes that we ourselves have from our mother and our father or sperm and egg source. And then they double the DNA. They make a photocopy of those chromosomes. They actually have four times the amount of DNA they're going to give to the ultimate egg that makes a baby. And that's because gametes, both egg and sperm, have to go through what's called a reduction division for reproduction or making babies. And that's because we don't give our whole DNA map to a baby. We only give them half. So half of the genetic material comes from the egg and the other half comes from the sperm. And there's a big mashup in between that creates genetic diversity. So we're all a little bit different from each other, but also from our siblings. And that is undertaken by a process called meiosis. So with meiosis, it 
is a process that happens over many years. It starts when we are female fetuses making our eggs and then it stops for a while and then in a cycle where we're maturing an egg to be released, it starts again and then it stops for a while. And then when the sperm and egg meet and fertilise, it completes. And just taking a little divergent path for a second of what we're talking about, that's why as women age, eggs make more mistakes because they have to undertake this complex cascade reaction of cell division. But instead of doing it when eggs are young with bursting vitality, (laughs) they do it when eggs are fatigued and more likely to make errors. And that's why chromosome problems and imbalances, otherwise known as aneuploidy, is more common as we age. And it's not in built within the egg, it's happening dynamically as our eggs ovulate and as they fertilize. So you might have a perfectly lovely egg collected in an IVF cycle and when sperm and egg meet, the egg makes a catastrophic DNA error and that's when chromosome problems happen. So it's really a quite random process and it can be intensely frustrating and devastating if it happens again and again in IVF especially at ages over 35. But going back to the trigger and what does it do or the LH ovulation surge and what does it do? So it restarts the process of meiosis. Uh, The resting oocytes organise what's called a nuclear envelope. Uh, They undergo what's called chromosome condensation and they form spindles, which are little structures that we use to kick out extra packages of DNA that we don't want to ultimately end up in the egg. So the completion of meiosis 1 should happen after the trigger or after the ovulation surge and we can tell that an egg has done it successfully when we look down a microscope at the mature egg um, because we see this little polar body which is this little circle. It looks like almost a sun around a planet or a satellite around a a star and you can see this it's it's an actually an asymmetrical cell division where this little polar body this little circle with DNA inside has been kicked out of the egg if an egg hasn't done that and it's just like a circle without that little polar body then we call it a m1 oocyte and or an immature egg if you have immature eggs collected at your egg collection it doesn't mean the trigger or the surge kind of proxy hasn't worked it means that it the correct message was given to the egg but the egg hasn't got with the program often in an egg collection you'll have a proportion of eggs that are mature and it might be all of them but sometimes it's not and you'll have a proportion of eggs that don't listen to the instructions properly and don't do what they're meant to do and they can be m1 oocytes or they can be what we call gv oocytes um, germinal vesicles which is the stage before m1 So they've kind of done a bit of what they're meant to do and then stopped. We also have a really important thing that the trigger or or the surge in a cycle, whether it be a natural cycle or an IVF or egg freezing cycle, has to achieve. And that is to separate the egg um, within its surrounding cells, which is called the cumulus oophorus. Cumulus means kind of like cloud-like. So it looks a bit like the eggs are surrounded by fluffy little clouds. That has to separate off the wall of the follicle and the egg has to be free floating 
in the fluid of the follicle so that it can be either ovulated and released into the pelvis to be picked up by the fallopian tube or in the case of an egg collection so that just before that happens we can put a little needle into the follicle and suck up the fluid, aspirate the fluid in the follicle and find this little microscopic egg and it's not stuck to the wall of the follicle. So that's a really important action of the trigger too. And there are different types of triggers, aren't there? What difference does that make and how do you know which one to use when? That's a really good question and there actually are quite a few different triggers that we can use in assisted reproduction. Today we're talking about the HCG trigger which is pregnancy hormone as a trigger and when people realise that HCG is used as a drug you can be like well why using pregnancy hormone as a drug? It's because the natural hormone in our body that causes the ovulation surge luteinizing hormone or LH but actually luteinizing hormone and HCG are really very similar they're physically very similar and actually the pregnancy hormone itself does not have its own receptor it acts on the LH receptor so it's like an alternative stimulator of the LH receptor and so we use HCG as a drug because it is easy to make, inexpensive relative to making LH. Making LH, just for technical reasons, is much more expensive to make. And also, HCG is more potent in its attraction to the LH receptor than LH itself is. It binds with greater affinity to the LH receptor and it has stronger what we call bioavailability, meaning it's available in the body for longer, it's broken down more slowly than LH is. And that's because it's got this really super cool C-carboxy terminal of 30 amino acids that makes it hard to break down and hard to excrete. So it sticks around as a drug for a long time. And that is a blessing when you want to use it as a drug, but it's also a curse because HCG sticking around in your body is the sole cause of hyperstimulation syndrome in IVF. We use HCG for a trigger when we want to try and get someone pregnant in the same month that we do an egg collection. We have to be very careful not to cause hyperstimulation syndrome and in a way it's a bit of a compromise because to some degree the more eggs you collect in IVF the more embryos you make and the better ultimate cumulative chance you have of making a baby when you take into account using all the embryos sequentially. But we have to have balance if we're trying to achieve an egg collection and an embryo transfer in the same cycle. We can't let the hormones run too high. Otherwise, the risk of getting hyperstimulation syndrome, which is when you have a terrible illness with fluid on the abdomen, fluid around the lungs, sometimes fluid around the heart, uh, feeling terrible, feeling bloated, feeling uncomfortable with a high risk of having a blood clot. So that sounds pretty bad. And I, I definitely would never want that to happen to any of my patients. So we have to be very careful and if we have too many follicles seen on an ultrasound, we would never use an HCG trigger. So when I was freezing my eggs, you changed my trigger at the last minute and we got a lot of eggs and so that was why you changed the trigger. Well, that's good of you for remembering. <laughs> well, look, it's one of those things. I mean, these days and, you know, when we, when we did start with egg freezing – Sometimes we were less certain of, of which trigger was the right trigger to use. But nowadays, I would 99.9% .9 of the time use the trigger I gave you, Geordie, for your egg freeze 
cycle for everyone from the beginning of the cycle because we now have a lot more experience of, of that type of trigger, which is called a GNRH agonist trigger. And we can do a whole episode on, on that to follow this one. But basically, that's what I call your get out of jail free trigger in that that is a terrific trigger for a cycle where the absolute intention is to freeze. We're not trying to get anyone pregnant. It is not compatible with getting someone pregnant. It's a kind of trigger that actually has a much shorter action and for that reason it doesn't at all sustain the second half of the cycle which we need to do if we're going to achieve a pregnancy in the same month but it absolutely minimizes the risk of hyperstimulation syndrome and that is a gift that modern medicine has given to IVF because we are now able to in strategic circumstances ask women who can make more eggs in a cycle to do that safely. Terrific for egg freezing, terrific for embryo freezing, not compatible with trying to get someone pregnant. I might have remembered the trigger changing from five and a half years ago, but I don't remember this. How long after you take your trigger will you have your egg collection? And also, when do you find out when you have to take your trigger? IVF and egg freezing is in many ways unlike other surgical activities in that if you have an operation on your knee or your elbow or your wrist, we'll generally plan a date ahead of time and that's when you're going to have your procedure. With IVF and egg freezing, certainly the way that we practice at Women's Health Melbourne is that we individualise care for every patient and we monitor with ultrasound. We individualise care for every patient and we monitor with ultrasound to time when the best time is for an egg collection for each patient. And so when we do your ultrasound, typically around day 10 or 12 of your cycle, we'll be able to make a call about when the best day would be to do your egg collection. And that might be a few days in the future. So you'll find out for sure when your egg collection will be and what time to take your trigger after that scan and after your doctor has made that call for you. We tend to schedule an egg collection by default, 36 hours after your trigger injection. What that means is, for example, if you have your egg collection scheduled at 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning, you are going to take your trigger at 10 p.m. on Monday night, so 36 hours before. Each individual patient having an egg collection on the day will have a unique trigger time, and that will correlate to 36 hours before their procedure time. That does give us a few hours leeway so that you won't ovulate before your egg collection in in most cases. Occasionally somebody can and when you ovulate before your egg collection it's always very upsetting because the eggs are released into the pelvic fluid. It's very hard to retrieve them. If that ever happens and you have a premature ovulation before an egg collection, the most common outcome is we need to start again. The stimulation phase to get the eggs ready would have to start again. If you've had a premature ovulation in another cycle, we might use what we call a shorter coast from trigger to egg collection. So we might say plan your egg collection after 34 or 35 hours um, from the trigger time instead of the normal 36. But for most people, 36 hours is perfect. You want enough time to have elapsed for the trigger to have done all of those actions that we talked about that it needs to do to resume the meiotic process, to release the egg from the wall of the follicle, Um, by stimulating what we call proteolytic enzymes. So these are the things that need to happen and they do take a bit of time from the signal to the outcome. You said the HCG trigger, the pregnancy hormone, 
is different from the luteinizing hormone, does it do exactly the same job? It doesn't do exactly the same job. And we've studied over many years how that might have effects in IVF and egg freezing. So when we give HCG, it's a drug and we give it, which means it's not released automatically from your pituitary gland, which is what happens with the ovulation surge. In a natural cycle, what happens is you develop one egg slowly and that egg is surrounded by follicle cells. They make estrogen. And when the egg and its follicle reaches a certain size and there's a certain amount of estrogen made, the body realizes the egg is ripe and ready to undertake that final maturation process. And your brain in your hypothalamus has these special neurons called kisspeptin neurons. I love the word kisspeptin, it's so cute. Sounds like it should be a Hershey lolly or something. Anyway, the kisspeptin neurons detect the high estrogen levels and they give a signal to the pituitary to release not only LH, which is the main ovulation surge hormone, the one that we pick up on the OPK kits. There's also an FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone co-surge in nature. When we give HCG as a drug, that doesn't happen. The dynamic is different. We talked about also that HCG has more circulating life in your bloodstream, that it lasts for longer. So the, the surge dynamic is different. So when you have LH surging in a natural cycle, it's got this pattern where it's triphasic, it's got an upstroke, it's got a peak, it's got a downstroke, the whole thing lasts about 23 hours. When you have an HCG hormone injection, that lasts for a whole lot longer and it's a different pattern, it's a sharper rise and it's got a plateau and then it has a fall. It just has a different dynamic in the body and what that means is that it has what we call sustained luteotropic effects, which means it stimulates what's called the corpus luteum, which is the ultimate job of the follicle after it's released the egg to make progesterone. But it also makes other what we call vasoactive peptides, which basically those are the chemicals, and there's lots of them, that cause hyperstimulation syndrome by making our blood vessels leaky. And when one follicle creates those hormones, the absolute dose of those hormones in our bloodstream is designed to help us make a baby. It's designed to help us have good implantation and for the embryo to be able to make a lovely placenta. But when you have so many follicles making these chemicals at the same time, it's like an overdose. And you have this weird reaction where your blood vessels become leaky and you have fluid shifts and you can become what we call intravascularly dry. So the blood in the blood vessels concentrates because the fluid's leaking out of them and that's how you can get blood clots with hyperstimulation. So it's like you're overdosing on a good thing, too much of a good thing. The other thing about HCG that we worry about is that, and we know happens, and this is why some doctors, and I often am, become advocates of freeze all cycles, is that the lining of the uterus or the endometrium after an HCG trigger is suboptimally receptive. And we know that that is true. We know the hormones of an IVF cycle overbake the endometrium and we know that the cycle dynamic of HCG makes the way that the endometrium sustains compromise. And that's why anyone who's done an IVF cycle with a fresh embryo transfer knows that we are obsessed with giving lots of progesterone after an embryo goes back. And that's because we're trying to counteract that negative effect of the HCG trigger in the stimulated cycle. We know it's not great. But because we've decided that our strategy has been to try and get you pregnant in the same month rather than freeze embryos and put them back in a better month, we're trying to rescue a not great lining. 
So, Raylia, this is a very complicated episode. What are the take-home points that I and other listeners need to be taking home? The take-home points using an HCG trigger are as follows. It's not for everyone. If you're someone with a high egg count, and particularly if we're trying to work it and get lots of eggs for you, an HCG trigger is off the menu. We will not use it. Sometimes we think maybe we'd like to try and get you pregnant in a cycle, and we think that you're going to respond conservatively to a dose of follicle-stimulating hormone that we've given you. And then during your cycle at your scan, we see lots of follicles and we have to change our plans. If your doctor decides to do this and change your trigger to give you a safer trigger than HCG in that circumstance, it's not because they're trying to upset you. It's not because they don't know that you'd really like an embryo transfer this month. It's to keep you safe and it's to prevent hyperstimulation syndrome, which... All patients who do IVF read about on their consent forms, but I think unless you've seen it, it's very hard to truly appreciate how absolutely awful and life-threatening it can be. It's incredibly dangerous. In IVF, it is our worst nightmare and we will do everything we can to prevent it. And I always say to patients when I think that it's a pretty borderline decision to try to have a fresh embryo transfer, I always say, look, we'll see, but... I warn them that we might freeze everything. And I would also say that freezing all embryos is also in some cases the absolutely best scenario and best strategy for a patient. When we freeze embryos, we know 95% of embryos survive really, really well and perform like fresh embryos when they are warmed. And we have the possibility to put them back in a really beautiful cycle in a very natural environment where everything is much more synchronized and much more calm. And I always say nature knows best. There's, these cycle dynamics are super complicated. And at best, we can try and emulate the lessons of nature. But there's still a lot that we can't get as perfect as your natural cycle can. And so putting an embryo back in a natural cycle is a terrific way to try and get someone pregnant. It also allows you to separate out elements of your treatment to make them much more manageable. So you have to get through two weeks and have an egg collection, then you can have a break. And then we can put an embryo back in a dedicated month, which is beautiful. We know how how many embryos we've got and we can really plan strategically from there. I would say with HCG triggers, another thing to know about them is you will have a positive pregnancy test after an HCG trigger, because guess what? We've given you pregnancy hormone. (laughs) So definitely doing pregnancy tests too early after an HCG trigger in any cycle type um, will give you a false positive and you should wait until 10 days after an embryo transfer before you do your pregnancy test. Another important thing to know about HCG is we can sometimes use it in a much more natural cycle context as an ovulation trigger. That's what you call an augmented natural cycle. And the dynamic is very different when we use HCG in that context because you haven't had a lot of stimulation from hormones that put you at risk of hyperstimulation syndrome. And you haven't had such significant hormonal disturbance of your natural cycle. In fact, you haven't had any. And so that is one context where using an HCG trigger can actually improve pregnancy rate. I think the important thing in IVF is you don't have to understand every element, but some people want to. And I think we should take the time to explain why we're doing what we're doing and also as doctors when we consider the trigger types we need to think about what we're doing very carefully and personalized care for every individual your circumstances are different to your friends or your colleagues or your pen pals (laughs) and 
you know, what we need to do is treat you in your context to achieve the goals that we've set for your care. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Thank you.